Hello, and welcome to another episode of Freaking Out with Flanagan, uh, the Story Screen Presents podcast where I, Mike Burge, get together with Diana DeMuro to talk about uh, the films and TV shows and filmography career of one Mike Flanagan. It's a spooky show. We talk about spooky stuff. Uh, previously, we've covered um, Flanagan's most recent show, The Midnight Club, uh, which, as of this recording now, we have some updates on, which we'll probably discuss, because uh, in that episode, we had talked about what could possibly happen in the second season, and guess what? Nothing is going to happen <laughs> in the second season of The Midnight Club, the Netflix show. Uh, and we also uh, discussed uh, on our first episode um, two earlier works of his, uh, Oculus, and Ouija. Ouija. Ouija 2. Um, and now for this episode, we are kind we're going back back to the, the old days, and we're looking at these two movies that he pretty much made back to back with uh Ouija 2. Um, all films were released in 2016 after a very long hiatus on uh the first one that we're gonna talk about, um being kind of uh uh held back by I think it was um was it relativity? Owned it, the studio, I think. They were talking about it going bankrupt. Yeah, they went bankrupt and they couldn't release it for a while, which happened to a lot of relativity movies as they were kind of being devolved and trying to bounce back. Uh, we're going to talk about Before I Wake, the uh, horror film starring uh, a very young Jacob, Jacob Tremblay. Tremblay. Yeah. yeah, Kate Bosworth. Oof. Uh, who I think it's Kate Bosworth's birthday today that we're recording really? this. Yeah, I think I saw Justin Long said something because they're dating. Weird. Yeah. All right. And they were both in Barbarian, a great horror and movie this year. And uh, Teen Heartthrob, Thomas Jane. Kate Bosworth was, who was looks not in like Barbarian? A, she's the voice. Uh, she's like no one of the way. voices. No way. I didn't yeah. know that. I, didn't I think know. she's like the agent. Sure? I think she's the Are one. Sure? Really? Um, I think she is a voice. I'm not sure if she's the agent that Justin Long calls or if she's the, I think that she's the person that you reach Again, I don't want to get too specific with Barbarian, but yeah. I think she's the one who, uh, when you call the Airbnb, oh. she's like, oh, the, the, the answering machine and stuff like oh. that. Wow. Well. Um, so today we're going to talk about Before I Wake and Hush, Hush, which Hush was the first thing I ever saw from Mike Flanagan, as we previously talked about in the first episode. It's essentially his second movie to be released wide, like after Oculus. Yep. There's like smaller stuff like Absentia and stuff like that that we'll eventually get to. But as far as like Flanagan, the horror boy with uh, family issues, these are two of his first films. So we're going to talk about, first up, Before I Wake, um, this movie not a lot of people know about because... It did not receive a lot of marketing because, again, relatively didn't really have enough money to be able to market it. They ended up releasing it themselves in co-op with other studios, but not a whole bunch of movie was money was put into it right. because they really just didn't have a lot of faith in it anymore because Kate Bosworth and Thomas Jane stars were not exactly the shiniest thing in the world. However, they did have Jacob Tremblay in it, which I had said when we were watching, I was like, he looks kind of smaller than he did in Room. He looks very But apparently young. they were shot around the same time. Because okay. again, this movie was released in 2016, but I think it was shot in 2014 because it was in hiatus movie Limbo for a couple years. And Room came out in 2015. So that means it was probably shot around the same time that this was. So gotcha. much kind of like every it's now the and then. Days. Yeah. When you would see like, you know, when like Jenna Ortega has an amazing year. All of a sudden, you're going to see really weird movies with Jenna Ortega start coming out that look like they were shot two or three years ago because they're like, we have nothing to sell this movie with. But all of a sudden, Jenna Ortega's a name. Right. I'm just using that as an example. I don't think that that actually happened because she's been around for a bit. So it kind of feels like that might have been Tremblay. the reason to really put that out there is yeah. to get the Tremblay push. And uh, and the fun thing is, is he pops back up later on in Doctor Sleep when he's a little bit older. Yep. You know, not as a main character, but... Which is like one of his final, like... Um, in-person live-action performances outside of playing Justin Bieber in a music video. Does he? Yeah. Oh, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, been doing a he's lot of... School. He's been doing a lot of, of awesome voice work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Luca, all the fun. I think he's maybe in Strange New World or Brave New World, whatever the that animated one that just came out. But mm -hmm. I know he's, you know, Luca's great. You so. mean the movie that Disney spent 
millions and millions of dollars on. You can't remember the name of that movie? Did they? They didn't, they didn't market it enough for you? They, they... I think it's got Chris Pine's voice in it. It's a strange new world, is it? I, it might be. Isn't that the name of the Star Trek show? Uh, Wait, it's not Strange New Worlds. Strange New World? It's called Strange World. Oh, just Strange World? <laughs> uh, oh, and it's got Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, yeah. And, um, and Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. I'm mixing... I don't think Jacob Tremblay's in that. Notoriously, because Dennis Quaid you know, played just, Jake Gyllenhaal's dad in just Day assuming, After Tomorrow. But yeah. But let's go back yeah. to Flanagan. Yeah. And you're hosting, so you, you rock out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, before I wake, uh, not a lot of people knew about this thing. Uh, it did not make a lot of money. The premise um, is, a, is a couple who lost their son mm-hmm. decide to adopt a son, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Jacob Tremblay, whose character is Cody. Mm-hmm. And Cody has magic powers because when he dreams, his, some of his dreams manifest. While he's dreaming. While he's dreaming. Mm-hmm. So it's when he wakes up, they go away. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an important distinction. Yeah. It's kind of like a spin on Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. You know, where it's kind of got like the dream stuff, dream powers and everything. And especially with the new Nightmare on Elm Street, where they started br- kind of bringing in the idea of like a waking dream a little bit more to the front. Other Elm Street movies deal with that, obviously, but... I feel like the new one really brought that in where like, you know, sleep deprivation and stuff can lead you sure. to like dreaming while you're awake. So then it's like, it's not all about just laying down and falling asleep. It's like you can be yeah. exhausted to the point. Yeah. Those little like micro sleeps of yeah. nodding off during he's, in, he's in school. Full REM. Yeah. He's in school and he nods off during class. And that's different than him trying to stay up at night because part of the issue is he's having good dreams. He's also having bad dreams mm-hmm. and there's scary monster in his bad dreams yeah it's um and i think the monster is not as not as awesome as the oculus right. monster well so like again like uh, we're gonna be <laughs> spoiling these movies as we're talking about them so that's kind of a big deal so if you're feeling very precious about before i wake you shouldn't but if you are it's on um, netflix both of these are on netflix right now and probably will be on netflix until the day the sun burns out um <laughs> i can't see these things going anywhere else um Till the sun burns out. But uh, Before I Wake is essentially, um, uh, it's an elevator pitch kind of thing. And it's got Thomas Jane, who looks like a totally normal human being in it. Nope. And and it's good. It's a good movie. I liked it a lot. It's one I had never seen before. And I think that it's good. I just think that it's a little... um, can we, Half baked. Can we pause for a minute on that Thomas Jane comment? Mm-hmm. Because it's just they give him this wig. For no reason. They just give him this. And if it's not a wig, then for some reason well, he's just got like long hair. Yeah. You know, that could be his hair. Mm-hmm. But it could also be a wig. And he's not bald, so he doesn't need a toupee. I looked at other... It looks real bad. ...images from around that time, because I really... I was very interested in the wig. And (laughs) I looked at other images around the time that he would have been filming this, and by, like, doing some sleuthing, I was finding, like, press screenings and, like, interviews and stuff where he had the wig on. Now... Does that mean it's his real hair? Maybe. But also, like, notoriously... Did it look better in the press? No. It looked oh. like the exact same wig. Really? Like, the like kind of dirty, blonde, curly... Then it's his hair. But no, sometimes they wear the hair... Really? Like, out in public. Like, they, like, by they, I mean celebrities. And, like, they. who knows? I've seen loads of pictures of, of Nicolas Cage in the time that he was shooting Pig with the pig hair... In normal clothes. Like, they just have it on, like, instead of taking it off. Sure. It's like, can last a couple days, stuff okay, like that. Okay, okay. But, you know. I don't know. I, it might be his Jane. real hair, but it looks fake. It, yeah. It. You know what? It's just, it sets um, a time stamp on this movie because it's like, a, the look is, is, a, is a leather cuff wearing. Oh, yeah. Uh, soft, like, um. You know, Kevin Bacon Brothers listening to. Yeah. He kinda... looks like he looks like a bassist from Nickelback. Yeah, 
Yes. Which I'm into, yeah. you know, because Nickelback is a perfectly fine band. Right, but he's paired with Kate Bosworth, who is sad, grieving mom. Happy birthday. Who goes to support group for losing her child. And yeah, it seems like Thomas Jane's character is ready to try being a dad to this new kid. Whereas he seems to be internalizing, like, again, like going to the Flanagan thing of what this movie's about and why it really draws it to him. It'll be interesting because this one, this episode will be fun because really Hush doesn't have a lot of the same things that his show, that his shows and stuff that he's known for now. But Before I Wait kind of has these weird, smaller variations of them. Yeah. Um, And it's the grief of losing a child is kind of present in this. And it's. The, how these two people are dealing with it. They're both obviously grieving, but it seems to me that Thomas Jane's character is more kind of internalizing it, wants to move on. Yeah. Wants to try and, you know, forget about it in a way, not confront it directly and just try and like let some time pass to heal. Whereas Kate Bosworth's character is much more interested, it's not the word, but seems to be more kind of trying to face it head on and understand why she feels the way that she feels and how she can move on faster. Sure. But does she even really want to move on? Like well, that, that kind of, she that becomes the issue. Yeah. And I think that that's like an interesting topic in a lot of Flanagan, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of it being child, parent, whoever, loved one is like that theme of grief and how people process grief and the idea of how you move on from it. And how long that process takes people and how they deal with it in different ways. And then I like how he uses like dealing with grief as a way to manifest these monsters. Because we have the whole subplot of how Cody, the kid being adopted, is actually dealing with grief because he lost his mom. Yes. And we don't really know the story behind that. That's like the slow burn. The big like kind of mystery. He's got this, uh, you know, so it's, he's one of the interesting, we're kind of, uh, one of the interesting things about like the dreaming thing is like, you know, he likes butterflies. So it starts off with butterflies and the parents see the butterflies. These are not the first parents that Cody has been sent to. And, right. uh, some of them have met he's with gotten, gruesome ends, mm-hmm. uh, which the, um, he's gotten bumped around a few families around. uh, and Annabeth Gish is like his, uh, you know, whatever social worker or person at the the orphanage Ward counselor yeah. kind of thing yeah and uh, so that's cool to see her and she's very protective of him cuz she mm-hmm. likes him uh and and it eventually kind of escalates but one of the very interesting things that i that i would imagine is what kind of like really made Flanagan kind of pursue this idea down the line is utilizing this kind of weird um fantastical dream nightmare scenario at first as a way for Kate Bosworth's character to try and get uh, her son back in some way. Yeah. Because the previous, the previous parents that were taking care of Cody, we also see that after the death of one of them, the other one tried something similar, Right. but couldn't, but Cody can only project in his dreams what he knows. Sure. And so he sees a picture of their son. He can project an image of their son, which is the first thing they see. And then right. Kate Bosworth gets this idea. But the kid doesn't talk, which is creepy Because as he fuck. doesn't know what he sounds like. Exactly. Or, or what he looks like when he's not smiling. So right. they, Kate Bosworth starts to show him. They, they load him up with coffee and food and junk food so that he crashes eventually, which is pretty nefarious, but also like... Yeah. You know, giving them pizza and stuff like that. You they're know, like so having like, a pizza party and yeah. they're letting him drink soda. And they and... start showing him videos of Sean. Right. Of like home videos well, they have of him. To be fair, that seems the mom's move. Because the dad at first the is dad like... Seems, he seems uh, like he knows what's going... Like that's the plan. But then he starts to realize like this maybe is a little... Too much. Too much because then he comes home and more pictures of Sean are up. Right. And she keeps bringing up Sean constantly to Cody. They're not moving on. Yeah, they're yeah. not they're not moving on and Oh, and his name is not Sean, so I don't know where he got that name it from. It is Sean. It, on IMDb there's something called Jacob. Oh. That is I don't know who Jacob is. I think Jacob is 
the stunt double kid for like the eyes out. Oh. The kid's name is Sean because yeah. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Oh, that makes sense. Then. Okay. It was weird. I feel like it also might be a mess up because Jacob Tremblay plays the kid in it. Yeah. And maybe they were like, Jacob is the name of something. Sure. Okay. All right. IMDb is a professional site that has absolutely nothing wrong on it. IMDb hey. trivia is perfect. It's cool. Um, but anyway, I like that idea of like, eventually that turns terrible and bad things start happening right. as, and that becomes kind of the general motif of like yeah. the connective themes of grief between yeah. uh, Cody losing his mom and Kate Bosworth's character losing her son starts to become this thing of like, neither of them can ever be the other. Cody isn't looking to replace his mom, but it seems like Kate Bosworth is unable to replace her son and just wants like a copy of him. Sure. Kind of thing. And that kind of becomes the dynamic between the two because spoiler alert, Thomas Jane gets taken out of this movie uh, fairly early. Not, not very, but more than about halfway through, he's kind of removed as the secondary character. It's weird. I kind of thought that was a weird choice to do that so early. Because I think it's supposed to be... She has to deal with She has shit. to do it on her own because... Yeah. And we'll get to the ending on this, which is not a very happy one. Um, we should mention that uh, Cody has, besides butterflies and Sean ghosts, he's got this really fun little thing in his dreams ca- that he calls the canker man. Canker man. Which is probably the- Which is not a canker sore. It's some of the closest stuff that we get from like Flanagan's uh, ghost story stuff. Like you see him in the yeah. background in some yeah. things, but they don't really pay attention to him. And then as soon as he kind of comes to the front, you start getting a little bit more of a midnight mass vibe. I don't, why are the effects so much worse than Oculus? I feel like, I feel like the, Oh, the, I thought it looked fine. I feel like the monster creature stuff in Oculus was way better than this. Sure. But I don't know if it's just because it was like earlier CGI attempts. I mean, they were pretty much probably made back to back. And I remember the Oculus monster is kind of just almost like all black. Well, but That's the, a lot easier to kind of shade and stuff like that. I think the Oculus monster is, is also more practical effect. Sure. And this seemed more computerized. And it not looks as like good. it's got touch-ups and stuff, but yeah. from that interview we saw, like, there is a mask. Yeah. And that is on somebody because we found out that the there mask is a canker mask. The mask from Hush is based off of the mask they used for before I wake. True. With just like little touch-ups and like a smile and stuff. Truth. Um, but yeah, the Canker Man is this very weird... Um, he kind of looks like the melting guy from Nightmare Before Christmas. You remember that guy? The oh, dude who's kind of melting? Yeah. Kind of looks like him. Or them. I don't know. He's, I, I don't know what he's they... He's smooth. He's smooth. Ish. Uh, and the Canker Gross. Man uh, can eat people. And he eats Thomas Jane. And he eats a young boy at a school... At one point, that's yeah. bullying Cody. Bully bitch. Yeah, a bully bitch. <laughs> and he gets eaten and he's dead, uh, which is well, intense. That's the thing is, at first, we don't know if they're dead. Yeah. So there, for a while, there is sort of this open-endedness like, oh, okay, if this gets resolved, are those characters going to come back? Right, which I think is the fun thing that the the ending of the movie kind of teases. It was like, no, that would be ridiculous. How the fuck would that happen? And even if they did, they wouldn't be... The I, same? I mean, that's my take on it. It's like, the ending is very sad because it's like... So, yeah. like, getting to the ending, Kate Bosworth eventually, after the death of Thomas Jane, Cody is taken away because they're like, your husband kidnapped this kid from the school and then is on the run now. Like, they think that that's what's going on. The police. And they take Cody away from Kate Bosworth. Kate Bosworth starts to investigate what happened, like where Cody came from, the parents that he right. had before. Kind of looks into his actual finds like, out what real, the real mom, mom, what happened to the mom. Goes to the institution that Cody is being held at where they're forcing him to go to sleep. And real mom had cancer. Real mom had cancer and died and... That's kind of where the canker man kind of comes from. This is revealed to us, the cancer man. Yeah. Cancer ate his mom and now the cancer, the canker man eats his parents. Um, And Kate Bosworth's character goes and just getting through the rest of the plot, goes to the institution that Cody's being held at where he's being forced to sleep and fights through using love and understanding to reach Cody and then take him away, which you cannot do legally. You cannot take that kid. And the 
what's her name? The, the like the ward oh, counselor says Fish. that like, yeah. you can't do this. And she's like, I have to, this is the only way. And they let her go. And then they go back to their house and like, they talk about, um, you know, what's going to happen to everybody. And like, she tells a story about imagine that that boy just woke up one day and that Tom, like, and Thomas Jane got to go to heaven to be with his son. Like, isn't that nice? And maybe one day Cody <laughs> will be able to see his mom again make things in real life and stuff like that but at the same Uh, time it's like those people are dead all those people are dead and even if he could (laughs) when he's older kind of like a doctor sleep vibe here where it's it's a little bit of a doctor sleep you know what danny's like in the shining it goes towards what danny's like in doctor sleep yeah an adult with these powers what would they be like oh they'd be a full-blown alcoholic like if the if the events of the shining happened to danny Uh, he would be a very well, yeah. Insecure and uneven and unhinged. All right, well, we don't know about Cody, but... Uh... Well, and I think that that's what they're getting at is like, he's gone through all this trauma. And even if he were to be able to control this stuff while he's awake, they would still just be copies. It wouldn't be Thomas Jane. It wouldn't be oh, his Oh, if he brought those people back? Exactly, yeah. Right, but I think that's a different, that's a different thing than saying like, because the cool culmination of the, like the creature magic in the final act of the movie is that the canker man is Jacob Tremblay mm-hmm. because it's his own nightmare. Yeah. So like as Kate Bosworth, as the mom, Jesse is like talking to him and talking him down. The canker man slowly becomes real life Jacob mm-hmm. Tremblay. Yeah. So it's sort of like him dealing with his own fears. Well, and the, the meetings that you mentioned before that Kate Bosworth's character goes to like, to kind of she goes to like group therapy count, yeah group. the guy there uh who's running it says he's like the one thing that's hard to understand about our dreams is that everybody that's in your dream is you right there's no one else in your head making these people yeah do they're all things. you it's manifesting all your subconscious stuff. manifesting stuff. right yeah so that's like you know whenever they see sean like they're like that's cody like thomas jane is the first one to link on to that that they're like it's not just he's projecting Sean. That's Cody. Right. Because he says the name Cody and Sean looks at him. Right. And it's like, he, he starts to get to, that and he's like, okay, this is wrong. Yeah. He wants to be the son that these parents want. That they want. want. Yeah. Yes. So it's sort of just like all all in his head. Um, so that's the whole movie, essentially. Um, one of my favorite <laughs> parts about the movie is towards the beginning when they talk about where he came from previously at one point i don't know if they say that it's the one that he came from directly before them but he said the the um like the ward counselor at the adoption clinic says uh his parents went missing and he was and it was a month before anybody noticed yeah and they only started to notice because he started going around knocking on people's doors Mm. Which insinuates that like he was trying to stay alone for as long as possible because the canker man probably just ate both of his parents. Well, because he doesn't want to hurt people because when he first gets to Kate Bosworth and Thomas Jane's house, he has this like shoebox with him Mm -hmm. with like a few of his favorite things like a book about butterflies, blah, blah, blah. But it also has like a giant can of grape soda, which I think is like the most- Like energy is grape soda yeah. and stuff like but that. But it's like, like monster energy drink. Pills, yeah. sugar packets. He has yeah. like sugar packed caffeine. And so he is like actively trying to stay awake because he doesn't want to hurt these new people he met, mm-hmm. which is fucking great. I mean, we were also having a lot of fun too, if we're getting silly. He's really little. He's very much he's like- very little. He's very like, hello. Remember when we first see like Kate Bosworth is in scrubs at one point and then she's all of a sudden like at a hospital. You were like, does she have a job? She has a job? Yes. Her job is a nurse. And then it makes sense that she's a nurse because later on when she's doing her sleuthing, how she finds all this stuff out. She gets to go to medical files and look up Jacob Tremblay's mom. something on patient 383 and can you believe it? They forgot to send the folder. Like does stuff like that. Yeah. But Thomas Jane, we were having fun trying to guess. They never give him a job. What his job is. And he has to have a job because they're like going around just buying race car beds. He's a basis for Nickelback. Is it? Is that what he is? I mean, maybe he's not on tour right now. I had said that he was like a graphic designer. (laughs) Yeah, you had said he was a graphic designer. We've never seen him in front of a computer, so I don't think that really holds up. No, but he could be an old school graphic designer. He does like... Like Walt Disney. He does splurge and take Cody shopping and buy him a race car bed and do fun stuff like a dad Sunday. 
Yeah. Which is have a fun little day. And that's like right, right before he gets eaten. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fun, but he's got a great, there's a great shot. I love Thomas Jane in this movie. (laughs) I love Thomas Jane. If I can get like, you know, I know that we're, I'm always goofy on these things, but if I can get like real goofy for a second, a lot of the stuff that Thomas Jane does in this movie is so much fun to me. Like when he pops the pizza down for like the pizza party that they're doing, like the way he drops it, yeah, and then he's got the 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 cutter and he's ready to go. I'm just like, Dad, he's dad. a dad. Yeah, he's a dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is a dad. They've had a child already who yes. is essentially the same age as Jacob Tremblay. So, and the, I and I guess that kid drowned in the tub, which is fucked up. He drowned in the tub. And that's weird. right. That's a little dark. It's dark. Um, and, and then they got they got. Insurance made them put poles on the tub to be able to adopt again. That's the insinuation. Yeah. That they had to put like little like safety poles. That the kid could pull himself up. Mm-hmm. But you're sort of like, how did that even happen? Uh, I guess he could have like, slipped and hit his head or something. Like, cause It looks like he just like started freaking out and couldn't grab onto anything. Yeah, I mean. It was slippery. We don't know how we smart don't. this kid was. So it's like, <laughs> he's not real, so we can he looks kind dumb. of make light of the fact that he, he drowned in a tub. He doesn't he look as smart as Jacob That Friendly. happens. Like, that happens. That's one of those things where it's like... It's, you can drown in it like an inch of water. It's kind of more it's disturbing true. how hard it is to understand how it happened. You yeah. know, like that's... Wait, how does that even happen? And there is sort of just like this repeated imagery of Kate Bosworth like stopping by and turning on the light in the bathroom and looking at the tub. And yeah. it's kind of fucked. It's creepy. Yeah. It's and it's it's I I think it's the unknowability of something like that. That's true. That's like, always scarier. That's kind of scarier. You know, like I I, I think about the, the unknown and we'll get is there more eventually. Scary. There's yeah. there and not getting specific because some people haven't seen everything and they might be watching along with us uh the Haunting of Hill House has a scene involving a kitten that I think is just one of the most disturbing things in the world because you're just like, how does that even happen? Mm. Uh, which we'll get to, yeah. Yeah, let's not talk about that. No, it's insane. But um, no, uh, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised overall by Before I Wake. Yeah. I think that the ending... I would say this is not as much of a banger as We Just Two. No. No, I no. fucking was blown away by how much I enjoyed that. This, from, like, Oculus on now, I've seen all of his, like, Blumhouse, Netflix, right. and pretty much all of his movies. And, and it I seems would like him say, and Jason Bloom are, like, buds. Of course, yeah. And they've got a good thing going, and mm-hmm. we'll talk more about him and Kate Siegel and Hush. Yeah, I think that Before I Wake is probably his weakest feature film, but that's... But not it's that bad. Good. It's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that not bad. bad at all. And I mean, that's when you're like comparing stuff, like you know, even something like Oculus or Ouija Two, which I think are a little bit lighter on stuff. They're still like really great horror movies. Right. And then they're you get things fun. like this Hush is... and Gerald's Game. And you're yeah. like, how did he pull this off? Right. And right. Same with Doctor Sleep, where you're just like, I don't even understand how somebody is able to do this. Sure. Yeah. This is a little heavier in subject matter. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, pleasantly surprised. I really thought that it was going to be, you know, something, you know, so Kate Bosworth has kind of been out of the system for a little while. Like, she's not really in front of the camera all that much. So you're kind of like, all right, what's going on? And same with Thomas Jane and stuff. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I actually like both of those actors very, very much. Yeah. I always think about Kate Bosworth's scene in Superman Returns on the boat. Um, it's a fantastic performance and a great scene with the piano. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I haven't watched that in a while. Yeah, when like the son is playing the piano and then the dude sits down to play the piano yeah. with him and he's got the scary tattoo on the back of his head that the kid can't see. Blech. It's good. Uh, twisted. Uh, moving on to Hush. Hush. Um, a very different movie. Very different. Very good movie. A very good very movie. Very good movie. This was like notoriously, I've, I think I've said it before, both in articles and on other podcasts and stuff. Um, I randomly put Hush on uh, back in um, 2016. How much longer after you watching it did I watch it with you? We were talking about this in the first episode too, where it was like trying to figure out when you had watched it. It had been a couple years. Yeah. So I feel like you didn't watch it until about like 2019, 2020. Yeah. Uh, and I finally, and we finally like got together to watch it. Um it's very good. It's great. It, uh, re- it's tight and lean, and there's not like a 
an ounce of fat on it, as people say, and that's I think that that's a hard thing to do, especially in a movie that has as little dialogue and is kind of contained right. in what it goes. Like, contained you never really set. leave the house. Yep, contained um, set. You're either in the house or just outside the yep. house. And it's got a very small cast, uh, a couple... Yeah. Uh, starring Kate Siegel, who goes on to star in many, many more mm-hmm. Flanagan things. Married and, to and Mike Flanagan. She's now married to Mike Flanagan. They have kids together, uh, and she co-wrote it with mm-hmm. him. And it's very good. It's very good. It is a it is a, a home invasion film um, with the the twist on it that the person who lives in the house that is being invaded um, is deaf and mute. Right. Uh, so cannot hear, cannot talk, cannot scream, uh, cannot call for help uh, the, in a typical fashion. But the intruder can hear her, which yes, is the twist. So, yep. yeah. Um, and that's the movie. It is about a home invader who likes to mess with his victims, kind of coming on in and doing some messed up stuff uh, just for kicks to yeah. kill her. Not it, trying to steal anything or anything like that, really, in the sense of burglary. And it takes place all in one evening, so it was totally shot at night. Yeah, pretty much almost happens in real time uh, once the events start to kick off. Like, right. there's really no place in there to, like, allow time to pass uh, outside of just a couple minutes here and there. And she lives pretty remotely. Like, so the premise is that... The main character, Maddie, is a writer, and she's she's left living in the city to kind of have a nice house in the country, but it is remote, so it's in the woods. She's got, like, one couple that kind of lives near her that she's friendly with, but other than that, she's she's on her own, and that's sort of where we start out with. So it's not like her next-door neighbor is immediately going to know something's going on. Yeah. Or the one next door neighbor that she has does, but there's not a whole lot of other people out there. Very true. No. And again, we're going to spoil Hush as we start talking about it and stuff yeah. like that. There's definitely a lot of stuff in this movie that if you haven't seen it and you've heard about it and maybe you were hoping that we can shed some light on whether or not you'd like it or not, highly suggest you just pause go and see go it. watch it yeah. on Netflix. Just it's, an, it's like barely an hour and a half. It's great. highly worth it. And the stuff that we're going to talk about, even though it might not seem spoilery, it's really cool. Like when these things happen in real time and are revealed. Yep. Um, the sound like, design of the film yeah. is awesome. Yeah, there's like four or five different moments in this movie that I look forward to every time I've seen it. I think when we watched it last night for this episode, I think that was probably like the fifth time or sixth time I've seen it. That was only the second time I I've seen it. It was great. Movie. It's yeah. good. Yeah, um, really yeah we're good. gonna spoil it. So uh, the bad guy is uh, John Gallagher Jr., who is normally teen heartthrob. He normally plays like little cutie pops. <laughs> yeah, he's usually sort of like. Uh, your friend at the bar. Yeah, who might have like, you know, a drinking problem or somebody's like cute and like... Uh, he's in the like, friend zone he's, or... He's know. unthreatening. Yeah. Is like the, Normally. the the vibe that I would give John, most John Gallagher Jr. performances. Like if you think about Cloverfield he's, Lane... He's 10 Cloverfield Lane. T- in 10 yeah. Cloverfield Lane, like he's very like... He's my favorite not, short-term 12. He's so lovable. In 10 Cloverfield Lane, like, you're not uh, threatened by this guy. Sure. That's got to be the whole point of him, that it's like, why would John Goodman's character be acting so hostile to this guy? Sure. When he's, like, not that threatening. Yeah. You know, he's just, like, maybe a little bit of a smartass, a little sassy, but, like, there's nothing about him that screams, like, this is a dangerous person. Right. But in Hush, like, He's doing it. Like, that's well, just he's like... he's younger. He's younger, he's, and he's just got this empty look and this buzzed, smile. He's buzzed hair. He's, buzzed hair. He's, he's got a tattoo on his neck. He's got a scary tattoo on his neck, and he's got a crossbow as his weapon of choice. So he's got that, like, kind of scary, out-in-the-woodsy, mm-hmm. violent. He doesn't have... He's got a knife, so it's sort of like... He's like white kid that hunts. Sure. Because he's got like a giant hunting knife and a crossbow mm-hmm. as his, you know, home invasion weapons of choice. <laughs> he likes to let his victims potentially bleed out in real time. Yeah. He's got this kind of, his bit is like he likes, hey bub, our cats are playing right now, there we go. Uh, so his bit is essentially he um, stalks around a house with someone trapped inside and, you know, as far as we know, like he's done this eight times prior, 
but we don't know like to the extent of what he did that with like you know because he kills the neighbor first he's got some, it doesn't uh, seem like he's really messing around with the neighbor all that much. yeah he's got some hatch marks etched into the side of his crossbow for his kills yeah um <laughs> and uh his whole bit at least uh with maddie is he's going to mess with her until uh she's essentially has nothing left or no hope left at all and then he's gonna come inside and kill her and I that's kind of what he yeah. says he's like you're gonna beg me to come in i think to the, end it all kind of thing it you know, in air quotes, the fun thing is when he realizes that she can't hear him. Yeah. Because he essentially, we're introduced like initially to the next door neighbors, uh, to Sarah, her boyfriend, John lives with, with her and she's, John's not home yet from work. So Sarah stops by, like has read Maddie's book. They have fun conversation. Sarah's learning sign language. Like it's like a nice intro with some really fun little Easter eggs of of projects that Flanagan's working on. So like the book is Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Two of the main fun. characters are Aaron and Riley, which are real characters in Midnight Mass mm-hmm. later on. Um, so it's kind of fun to have those little, little tie-ins there. But we, we like her. We're like, Sarah's cool. Sarah goes home to make dinner at her house. But we learn cool little snippets. Like we have Maddie, because she's deaf, has an insane smoke fire alarm mm-hmm. that is so loud because she needs to be able to feel the vibrations of it when yeah. she's asleep. It is everything in the first like five minutes of yeah. this movie it sets, sets up, up absolutely everything else that down to yeah. the corkscrew yes. being by she, the picture frame. She's opening a bottle of wine while she's mm-hmm. cooking dinner. She's got a recipe on her, you know, laptop. She uses texting and uh, FaceTime on her computer and her cell yeah. phone. It's like by, all the things that by, she's using in her home. By introducing us to Maddie's character and who she is and what she's like, it's also explaining um, not only the logic of how a person with these quote unquote disabilities would be able to live on their own, sure. but it's also showing all of the rules that the movie is going to be operating by. Right. And it's, that it's like, this is how she does this. So, if she can't do that, then how does she do that in general? Like, right. how does she talk to somebody if she can't text or email, like, on her laptop? Like, yep. how does she do that? Yeah, and I love the, you know, so we're introduced to, she's written her first novel, and she's working on her second, and she's trying to come up with her ultimate ending. And so the the running joke is that she has seven endings because she's always thinking of all of the possibilities that this could play out. And that that becomes like a huge factor in the rest of this film is that her writer's brain is not just set on one ending, but all these possibilities that could take place. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to help her in this survival arc of her home invasion movie, which is really cool. Yeah. So we see that she's got like seven running tabs of potential endings for her book. And she's kind of got a little bit of writer's block and she's joking around like blah, blah, blah. You know, text, 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 send me money, please, while she's working on her her final draft. Mm-hmm. And that during that time, she's being watched by the person who's about to break into her home yep. and scare the shit out of her. Who's and, referred to as man. Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and he John Gallagher Jr. Yeah. And he's just like, Oh wait, she can't hear me. And yep. in his brain is thinking like i could have some fun with this exactly which is fucked up it's a but it's also (laughs) it's great it's fun it's very interesting this movie very much toes the line between the kind of campy um exploitative nature of a home invasion type of movie while also making because like home invasion movies like the genre is weird like i love the strangers but i know some people that can't watch the strangers because of how intensely serious it is like okay even though, like, I think it's a lot of fun, winky-wise, and, like, a lot of things that it's doing, I know a lot of people who love horror movies that can't watch Strangers because of how real it feels. Sure. And that's why the second one, when they were making a second one, they were like, you need to make it a little bit more poppy, make yeah. it a little bit more fun, which I also like the direction they took that in, too. I love, uh, Strang- what is it, Pray at Night? I've never seen that one. Oh, it's so good. Okay. It's so good. I'll have to um, check that out. But, uh, it, like, there is, like, this kind of campy nature to what a um 
a home invasion movie can be. Sure. And kind of adding this kind of like, again, elevator pitch, like kind of heightened concept of a very normal subgenre in like the horror genre is really neat. And by like explaining all the rules nice and early on, you kind of are able to just really quickly get into, well, now he's here. He's let her know that he's here. He's explained to her that he understands what she's doing, like who she is and that he's explained what he's going to do so that she knows it. And then from there, it's like, that's it. Yeah. He's, he's taken her cell phone Mm -hmm. when she wasn't paying attention and then he turns off the power. So she no longer has internet or any other way to call out for help. Mm-hmm. And she's in the dark. So she's locked herself in the house. And he's saying, essentially, at a certain point, when he's ready to come in, he will. You yeah. know, Or when she's ready for him to come in. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of fucked up, but awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like this play of whether she should try and escape the house and make a run for it. Or what is she going to do? How is she going to, you know, initially she doesn't know that he has already killed her next door neighbor, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So for the very early part of the movie, there is that possibility that she could try and reach out to them. But early, pretty early on, he taunts Maddie's character by knocking at the window, essentially with yep. Sarah's corpse, which is gross, but... You know, then there's the idea, does Sarah have her cell phone on her? You know, like there's all the possibilities of how Maddie can try and reach out to communicate with the police or someone else because Mm -hmm. she's in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Yeah. Which is also scary (laughs) because it's so dark. The movie is so dark. Yes. There's, There's like a really fun, I've never really been able to put my finger on it because I think it's, I might be overthinking it a little bit, but... There's like, obviously there's a huge theme of communication in this and how we communicate with one another. And to an extent in that, there's like these bits of the movie that are all about consent. Sure. Um, I think a big tell is, you know, and not like, not, I don't mean like consent as only sexually, like between like. Yeah, elaborate. Like, what do you the, mean? Like, yeah, like think about um, in, you know, the, the line that he says, he's like, I'm going to come inside and, and you're going to want me to do it. Right. Like you, that kind of thing. Like you're going to want me to kill you exactly. at some point. Yeah, to like, put you out of your misery, essentially. I want essentially. you to want it. Like, that's yeah. what I want. And yeah. then there's the great, like, how John Gallagher Jr. Eventually, Sarah, the neighbor who has been already killed, her husband, it's her John, boyfriend, John, boyfriend John Michael shows Truco. up. He's awesome. In an amazing scene. Yeah, and it's he's a very so short scene, good. but he's great. But John Gallagher Jr. pretends to be a cop. Right. And convinces... John. John to give him... His phone. His phone. Which is fucked up. Exactly. But he's like, he doesn't take it. It's on the ground. He could just pick it up. He could. He wants him to give it to him. He wants to build that so fake there's trust. This, yeah. He, yeah. He, there's this idea of like how we communicate with one another because you find out that in that one scene, that's the one time that John Gallagher Jr.'s character talks to somebody that he's not... Um, in control of. Right. You see him he's in... He's sort of like, he sees John and he's like, oh, I can't I can't just this attack guy. this guy. This guy's he's huge. He's a huge dude, yeah. And it's sort of a frat and you boy. you see that he's and... actually really good at talking to people. Right. Like, he immediately is able to kind of, like, come up with this plan and do this, whether he's done it before or not, and he's very good at communicating. Right. And the only reason that he really gets, like left off is because he's really badly hurt from the past couple times he's got that his, he's interacted with Maddie. So yeah. he's got blood on him. He got shot in the arm. He's a little exhausted. Right. Yeah. And that's, and you know, he's, he's not dressed the way he probably should be. To, pre- to pretend to be a cop? No, he's yeah. not. And he's, he doesn't have his weapon too. Like he doesn't have his crossbow. So he can't kill this guy from far away. He right. has to actually go up and talk to him. Right. And I, you know, we watched like a really short, um, interview with Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel after the movie last night. And one of the things that I really liked that, that they commented on was the fact that in this film, they really take the time with trying to make the injuries realistic in the sense that mm-hmm. you wouldn't essentially immediately die if you were stabbed, you know, once or twice. Yep. Like it would take seven or eight minutes for somebody to bleed out. So Michael Trucco as John, even though he's been stabbed, is able to a, a certain extent try and fight back. Yeah, he just like gives him and, a little... 
the yes. little bop in yeah. the neck with the knife, and he's got that great line where you're like, it's done. It's over. Don't yeah. to, to stop, dude. Yeah. Like, it's, it's done. Right. But he still is a big dude and essentially tries to tackle, you know, him and, and choke him mm-hmm. while Maddie is kind of watching from the house and trying to figure out what the hell she's going to do. So it's really interesting that, you know, when Maddie is injured, you know, Kate Siegel commented on like, in real life, your first priority would be to attend to your own injuries. If you're bleeding or you're in pain, like you're going to have to deal with that. You're not the Terminator. You're going to have to deal with your injuries as they come up. So it is pretty cool to see like she gets shot in the leg with one of the arrows and then she has to clean her wound, wrap it up. And at the same token, she can't speak. So we never hear her scream, but mm-hmm. she's so convincing at like conveying that pain. Yeah. And it's it's really awesome performance, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, it, it it like it uh it makes physical all of the things that any other actor in that situation or character would be able to just articulate vocally. Yeah. Scream, talk. Uh I love to with on the idea of communication and consent, the uh, the idea that um, she can't plead with him. Right. She has that one moment where she like writes with lipstick, like on the glass. I didn't see your face. You can just go. Yeah. You know, my and boyfriend's takes, coming. And then he takes he his takes mask the, off yeah. on purpose. So that's that, the only yeah. time that she really tries to plead with him because there's really no other way for her to do that. Right. Like she can't yeah. say like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't speak sign language. Exactly. So yeah. he's sort of demanding, like, if you understand me, nod your head, mm-hmm. but other, and then he's like, can you read my lips? So we know that she can understand him yes but it's one-sided that's what i mean and that's like the kind of idea of the communication of everything and it's like he needs to get like nods and looks from her to be able to understand you know towards the end he's got that line where he's just like i'm gonna come inside now right you know and and she's like looking at him and then she does that stand up and everything um immediately following though the the john scene which is so good is where we get to one of those big moments I was talking about and one that you were referencing before, which is the kind of writer's brain thing where right. we see Maddie break out of the back of the house while John is choking out John, Gall- John Gallagher Jr.'s character uh, and tries to escape into the woods. And John Gallagher Jr., the invader, just uh, comes right on up and bashes her over the head with a rock and then... Because she's limping away. Because she's limping she's away. Already she's already hurt. And then crushes her skull like five or six times with this big rock. And you're like, is that it? And that's it. And then it goes back to... That's what she was imagining would happen... If she tried to make a break If she tried it. to make for a break for it right now. Right. Is like he would catch up to her because he's faster and he's stronger and you wouldn't be able to fight him off because you're hurt and he's stronger than you. And she's already lost a lot of blood. Exactly. So, so she starts going through her... Going through everything like you were talking about. And a big point is that it. she says that she sounds like her mother's voice. So... Yeah, she's saying in her, you know, in in, her head. In my, in my head, And yeah. that's true for everybody. Because she lost her voice when she was a teenager. So right. she doesn't know what she sounds like right now. Right. And so everybody kind of has the sound of their internalized voice in their mm-hmm. head that maybe sounds a little different than a recording that you listen to of your voice. Like yeah. I, whenever we listen to the podcast, I'm always like, ah, I sound yeah, like 100%. that. 100%. You know, but... um. It is very cool to hear Kate Siegel's voice in reality talking her through these different scenarios. Like, nope, you can't run away. Okay. You can't call anyone. You can't, you know, you're not, she's in real time working out how she's going to handle this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the cool, like, twists of the movie that maybe would have not worked with certain people, but it definitely works in this film. It's very cool. Yeah. No, it's it's one of those things that's, it's mentioned earlier, very briefly, in a conversation between uh, Maddie and her neighbor, Sarah. And then it's brought back. So, again, it's like all the stuff that's kind of like built up in the first little bit. Is, yeah, everything's called It comes back and yeah. like you understand what it is. They don't overdo it. Right. Which I like. Like you really, they only kind of. Truly really during the climax. They only trick you with it once, you know, with the rock. Yeah. And then you kind of see other things as she's talking about it. So, you know, it's not real. Yeah. And then you realize, like, oh, she's got this whole kind of, like, thing planned to be able to do this once he comes in. And she needs to get him to come in. Yeah, so she has to fight back. And so she starts to fight back and things go wrong pretty quickly. She gets her hand broken. Yep. Which I would imagine was not in her plan. Um, So gross. 
and she ends up she having breaks her to hand before then i thought no no i mean that's that's when she wants to fight back oh, okay. and because she breaks her hand she still needs to get him to come inside but then she needs to yeah she doesn't have as much dexterity escape to the bathroom yeah yeah and then she's kind of stuck in the bathroom with only one way out yeah he comes in through because there's um, a there's the a certain period of time where she has acquired the crossbow, and I like the reality of the fact that like those weighted crossbows. Have you ever shot one of those? Yeah, they, I've done they, that once yeah. in my life when my neighbor used to do that, and it was a forty pound crank, mm-hmm. and those are not easy yeah. to pull and back. That's, I like how she learns how to do it. Yeah, with like oh, she's like oh the. There's the a, foot, a foot pedal, pedal is right there, and it's you pull still it back, even. Still, with, it's very hard. Even yeah. with the foot pedal, it's like to cr- the weight you need to crank that back, and mm-hmm. she kind of keeps hurting herself as she's trying to do it, and and you see John Gallagher Jr. from the window being like, "It's not that easy, huh?" You yeah. know, like, and you're like, "Motherfucker!" And it's like kind of just showing like she <laughs> has this inability to fight back, right? That is not like it's not because of her already like disability it's no it has nothing to do with in this situation yeah. she's been would, wounded yeah she is not physically as strong as as this younger dude yeah yeah it's like she's fully capable up to that point like you know she's doing like this kind of fully capable thing of like trying to figure out exactly how to utilize the space that she knows to be able to like fight back yeah. to him but then she's always just trying to escape and yeah. it's not until the end where she realizes like you're gonna have to fight back you're gonna have to kill you him. can't hide you yeah. can't run you gotta kill him you know like yeah. you can't wait you, you you have to kill him right and which is pretty awesome when you get to that to that twist and, and also like kate seagal has like such a like you've seen that picture where she dressed up like Ellen Ripley on uh, for oh, Halloween. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. Like she's got that look that like when she can get really intense. She's determined, yeah, and the determination. Look. That determination look where you're just like, oh, I would not fuck with this person. Right. But also at the same time, like Sigourney Weaver, like she can also look extremely nice she and just look, like she can look vulnerable. Nice yeah, one moment. Like and I always think about like the combination of Sigourney Weaver and Ghostbusters and an alien, where you're sure. just like those are like two different fucking people. Right, exactly. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, it's really good. And she uh, stabs. She uses the. Uh, uh, she um, uses a corkscrew. She has the those. Well, first she has the hornet spray to oh, yeah. blind him. Yeah. And then she has the um, really super loud uh, fire alarm that you had mentioned. Yep. To like kind of disorient him, disorient him, him yep. and like flashing lights and everything. And then she fights back. He's still extremely strong. He pushes well, through a lot of it. She's lost a shitload of blood she's at this point. A, like, well, she so looks, is he too. But yeah. like, it's that he's like, he's got that moment where he he gets on top of her and he's choking her, and she tries to poke one of his wounds. Yeah. And it hurts him for a second, and you see him shake it off. Right. And like like well, like shake his head. He's no. gotten like a wound in the shoulder. She has gotten an arrow in her thigh, which is like fe- and a broken hand. She can't femoral fight back. artery. She can't fight like, back. But like the amount of blood that she's probably lost versus him is like a shitload yep. more. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then she grabs the aforementioned corkscrew. That has fallen off the shelf by the door now uh, and stabs him right in the throat with it. Yeah. And again, the sound design in this is insane where he starts, he's trying to breathe and you hear like a wheeze, like yeah. from the blood that's like not letting and the, him. And the air. And the yeah. air. And it's it's, like, he sounds like a fish. He so. sounds like a fish. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. He dies. Uh, she calls 911. Yep. And the police come. You've got this you get amazing. To see the lights. The yeah, lights. You get to the see this amazing woods. last final shot of uh, spinning around Maddie's head. And um, good movie. It's fucking great. Yeah. It's also got one of those great opening titles too. We didn't talk about where it has its regular fanfare studio logos, and then it has it just cuts directly to a horizon and hush is on it, and it oh, goes yeah. boom. Like I always think about. Uh, Great in, in uh no in uh the guest <laughs> oh yeah the guest where the guest has just like boom like That's that true. real quick That's and it's, true. it's funny um yeah the gray man of course <laughs> now we're in the forest Budapest yeah <laughs> uh yeah hush um still probably you know we're, we're gonna rewatch Gerald's Game and Doctor Sleep eventually his other movies. Uh, I still think that this is probably my favorite Flanagan film, if not favorite Flanagan project, just because of how tight it is. Yeah. You know, you you need to devote 
you know, eight to ten hours to like something like a rewatch on Hill House, which is fine. It, it needs that much time to to breathe. But I really like a movie that is like, you know, 90 minutes, genre specific, and you're in and you're out. And it's just like it's just like wall to wall cinematography, sound design, acting, music. Like, it's just everything about it yeah. is just working well, perfectly. I mean, part of the reason this movie's so tight is because there is so little dialogue. So yeah. it has to go from kind of sequence to sequence quickly. It doesn't spend a lot of time just panning, looking at stuff. You mm-hmm. know, like, there's always intent and action yeah. in every shot, which is very cool and probably pretty different from complaints that Flanagan will get about being wordy or having dialogue heavy in some of his other pieces. Mm -hmm. So I like that he has this as a comparison. And, you know, part of that is Kate Siegel. And I'm kind of hoping maybe they'll work on more stuff together in the future too, Mm writing-wise, not just her acting in his stuff. Yeah, it was funny. We were watching, um, you know, some interviews with uh, Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel on Hush last night. And they brought up... You know, because we when we saw when we saw Midnight Mass, we we're like, oh, cool, funny, yeah. And then like she's reading an excerpt from, it, and we're like, oh shit, that's from the show, that's yeah. cool. Because um, I also know I think Midnight Mass is on the shelf in Gerald's game, oh, like yeah. the book, yep. yeah. yeah. Like he's got like that fun. He's got his breadcrumbs, yeah, yeah. Um, he's got his people that show up. But uh, they have mentioned something about like they're working on a project right now where they would like to be able to get the four cast members from Hush and like bring them into another smaller budget kind of thing. And they yeah. start talking about like using like these kind of like smaller cast members as a county player, have them all play different characters a la American Horror Story. And you're like, oh shit, they're talking about what they do with Hill House. I mean, and what Flanagan just does in general. I, I don't know if Michael Truco comes back. I hope he does eventually in something else. He's in. Um, because he's he's sort of the missing piece because Samantha Sloyan is definitely popped up again and again. She was in Midnight Club. He's in Midnight Club. Uh, is he? As some character. Oh, uh, yeah. I looked it up and I was trying okay. to find what he okay. was in, but right. I don't recall him from Midnight Club. Yeah. Then that's good. Mm-hmm. He's somebody's parent maybe or something. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's funny that that's like kind of what eventually became a, what Flanagan really kind of does, whether from like, you know, people like working with them. a Gerald's game yeah. or uh, Hill House and all that stuff, especially his Netflix stuff. He starts utilizing all the same people, something we talked about a lot from the very beginning. It's like, oh, he's using a lot of the same people, which is very cool. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it makes it in the same way that, you know, we have mentioned that him and uh, Jason Bloom are are very like tight. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, that's because like he seems like a very easy guy to work with and all that stuff. We've said that before, so I don't want to like keep reiterating that. But I think that's why people kind of keep coming back. But it was interesting that as early as Hush, he was like, oh, I'd like to do something like that. Yeah. And now that's kind of what he's known for, where he's like, you know, uh, the fall of the House of Usher is going to have the most returning. Like, it's like the Avengers endgame. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So. But yeah. Um. Last notes, uh, Midnight Club canceled, not coming back. Right. Uh, they're, they're actually, if you're interested, one of the cool things that Mike Flanagan has done is he gives like a full, full disclosure breakout of what they were planning for season two on, uh, on Tumblr, on his Tumblr page. So if you want to go on that, he kind of promised once finding out that it wasn't going to get picked up that they would disclose what they had planned yeah so that's kind of cool you can check all that out you can read all that on there uh fall the house of usher is still on its way um and is that on netflix that one's gonna be the last one on netflix yeah and then you and robbie talked on your story screen reports yeah we have a, a story screen report that came out in uh the one for december uh, i believe it is episode five uh, one of the things that we talked about in Story Screen Reports that month was uh, Flanagan moving on over to Amazon. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that too, uh, you can hop on over there. Those are very, very fun episodes. We try to keep them, you know, hour and a half, stuff like that, uh, and just kind of go over the top five movie-related, pop culture-related news stories of the month. Um, yeah, there's some good ones in there. We talk about the whole James Gunn, DCEU swap up, and we have some fun with that and make fun of uh, The Rock a lot. Uh, so hopefully he doesn't hear it, because he'll hurt me. Um, Dwayne. Dwayne, yeah, fucking around, finding out. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that that's 
before I wake and hush. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, as you may know that this is not the only podcast on StoryScreen. Uh, StoryScreen Presents has a multitude of other podcasts from Overdrinkers, Hot Takes, Cathode Raycast, StoryScreen Reports, etc., etc. Um, you can find all those at StoryScreenBeacon.com where we also have a bunch of articles written by us and a lot of our cool friends that like movies and are smart. Um, you can check all that out again, storyscreenbeacon.com. Follow us on Twitter at story underscore screen or on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, Story Screen Beacon New York, um, where we do a lot of fun stuff as well. Um, be sure to go to our website, again, storyscreenbeacon.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, that yeah. way you can kind of see all the cool stuff that we've got coming up, both like kind of articles, podcasts, and also Story Screen Beacon theater-wise, where we are showing a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, new and old. New and old, yeah. At the time of this recording, uh, we are going to be having The Thing is going to be, John Carpenter's The Thing is going to be our next pasta night on January 31st. Uh, that's going to be a blast. If you want to get more info on that and pasta night, again, Go to the website, check that out. And uh, yeah, Diana, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, we'll be back next month for our next installment. I think I know what we're going to do next, but we usually don't say it on mic in case we kind of change our mind and want to do something else and stuff. But uh, yeah, we will see you next month for more Freaking Out with Flanagan. (laughs) 